If you have your Bibles, flick open to Mark chapter 12. I'm going to tell you how to be a Christian in two verses. If you do these two verses, then you will have fulfilled your life calling. And people say to me all the time, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm going to tell you what your purpose in life is. All right? All right, are you ready for this? Because I'm going to tell you what your purpose in life is. You've been wondering? You've been thinking, what am I here for? What's my whole thing? It's really, really easy. All right, Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. Then the scribes came, and having heard him reasoning together, perceiving, that's Jesus, that he had answered them well, asked him, what is the first commandment of all? In other words, what is the greatest commandment of all? What's the best thing I can do with my life? What is my ultimate purpose? Because you see, the scribes and the Pharisees had this whole system going where you had to obey the law, and if you obeyed all of the law, then you get into heaven. Because that's what the Old Testament's about, isn't it? It's actually not, but that's what they made it about. All right? They said, if you want to be perfect before God, you have to fulfill the whole law. And Jesus said to them, you want to obey the whole law? You want to do what's pleasing to God? You want to fulfill your life purpose? then it's really easy. He said, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. In other words, the first thing you have to do in your life is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus just gave you what your life is all about. And the excitement in the room was deafening and overwhelming. You see, we we go through life and we look for... You know, we go, God, what is my great purpose? Why was I made? That's why you were made. That's actually why you were made. Your purpose when you were born was to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the scribe says to him, verse 32, he says, Well said, teacher, you've spoken the truth, for there is one God and no other but he. And to love him with all your heart, with all understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, to love one neighbor as a self is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus said, You know, you're pretty wise, dude. You're not far from the kingdom of God. And no one else dared question him. He silenced the crowd with that statement. And like the scribe says, it's greater than anything you could do or you could sacrifice or you could give. It is greater than anything you could ever do. In fact, Jesus said, you know what? There are people out there who will do miracles, who will have healings, who will see signs and wonders and still won't get into heaven. Paul says, he says, you know what? You can can prophesy till your tongue falls out. 
the Word of God. You could do amazing miracles, but he says if you don't love God and love others, then you're just a noisy gong. In other words, you're totally ineffective. You want to know what your life purpose is? It's really, really simple. It's to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. How do you do that? Well, your heart is the core of your being. It's your first love. Is God your first love? Let me ask you, when you get up in the morning, do you start with God? When you go to bed at night, do you end your day with God? When you walk through your day, do you walk with God? Do you start your day by praising Him? Do you start your day by reading the Word? Where's God in your day? Is He a footnote in your week? Oh, yeah, Sunday mornings, oh, yeah, we go to church, therefore I've done my bit for God. No. He wants all your heart. He wants everything that you have within you that you would sacrifice everything for Him. That you're all about Him. Then He says, I want your soul. In other words, your identity, your emotions. It's allowing God to touch the hurts within. You see, too often we sort of get our lives and, and we go, okay. And I had this guy say this to me once. He says, I've got, I've got my church friends. I've got my sport friends. I've got my work friends. And I've got my old school friends. And he would allocate them time during the week. And they would never mix. Because he was a different person in every group. And we started messing with his head because he came to know Jesus and he's going, oh, that means that I've got to mix up my groups because if Jesus is first in my life, that means that I need to tell all the other people about him. And so then, you know, they should probably come along. We're doing this outreach as a church. I should invite them, but which group do I invite? And he was absolutely, he just, he found it really, really hard to cope with mixing them up because he had divided himself among all these groups. And God says, I don't want you to divide yourself. He says, I want your identity to be in me, that when you walk into your workplace, into your home, in, down the street, that people can look at you and see Jesus. They had... Um, a guy who was a high priestess in, in the Wicca church. You know what the Wicca church is, as in the witches, so on. And um, he got saved, and he would talk about when he was this high priest. He says he could walk down the street and he could tell how strong a Christian was. He says because Christians used to have little lights coming out of them. And he says you'd walk down the street and you'd see just a little light out of that person, a little light out of that person. But he said every so often you would see this strong beaming light come out of the person. He said, when I saw that, I would cross the road to the other side of the street because I knew that light was too strong for me. But when I saw these other ones with a little light, I thought, that didn't worry me so much. 
You see, because their identity wasn't in Christ. That little light shining out is Jesus shining out of you. And when you walked in places, people should be able to look at you and say, there's something different about you. And it scares me, but I want it. That's what the early church was like. It says that, you know, there was so much God in them that people were afraid to join them, but they couldn't help it. That's how God wants you to be, that when you walk, you shine and radiate Him. The people look at you and go, there's something different about you. You, you exude, this light comes out of you, this brightness, this, this overwhelming joy, that no matter what your situation is, flowing out of you is God. Because your identity is Him. It says, no longer you that lives, but Christ that lives in you. I thought Dale was going to steal my sermon. But it is. It's no longer. You're dead on the cross. You know that? It says we're crucified with Christ. The problem with some of us is we keep pulling the nails out and jumping off the cross. We've worked out how to work them out, you know? And we hop down. No, no, your identity, who you are, no longer exists. It's actually just Christ shining through you. Do you know that? You're dead. So it actually doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. Because you're dead anyway. You think about it. You go down the cemetery, you stand over somebody's grave, and you tell them what you thought of them. Is it going to matter to that person? Is it going to matter? No. You could tell them they're the rotten, stinkiest, Horrible person that ever existed. But you can't stand them. You can call them a liar and a cheat. Whatever you want to call them. Is it going to matter? It's not going to matter to them. Why? Because they're dead. They're not there. So therefore it doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. Because you're dead. You died. When you said, I take Jesus my Lord and Saviour, you, and you got, that's what baptism is about. Baptism is to symbolise you going down into the grave because you're dead. And when you come back up out of that water, you're coming back up and going, I'm a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. All. How much? And how much is all? So all things have become new. So stop jumping off the cross. Stop trying to get up out of the grave. It's God in you. And so people look at you and go, oh, you're too religious. You go, God loves you. It doesn't matter what they think. Oh, you're always doing this. Oh, that's Jesus in me. It is. You know, people say to me, oh, I couldn't tell somebody about Jesus. Why not? You're dead. doesn't matter what I think about you. If someone rejects you and slaps you and spits at you, if someone hits you and pushes you, what did Jesus say to do? He said, turn the other cheek. 
You know why? Because it's not you anyway. It doesn't matter. Your identity is Jesus. You know what your passport says? Jesus. That's what your passport says. That's how you get into heaven. You step into heaven because greater is he that is in you. You're Jesus. Then it says your mind. Oh, the mind. Loving God with your mind. That's the one that gets in the way, isn't it? Like you're sitting there going, but, but what about me? But what about this? But what about that? You know where your butt belongs? <laughs> Sit on it. Sit on your butts. The only butt that should be in your life is but God. And God's got a big butt. Because he says all the way through. You know, they persecuted you, they had to go, but God delivered them. It says he was in sickness, but God brought healing. That's what God does. So take your butts and sit on them. They're not God butts. Your mind is the battlefield. Romans says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may what? Know God's good, pleasing and perfect will. You want to know what God has planned for you? Transform your mind. Surrender your mind over to him. How do you transform your mind? You want to know a shortcut? You want to know the secret? It's really, really easy. It's in your Bible. If you read the Bible every day, it will change your mind. Do you know that? If you read it and then think about what it says, it will change your mind. If you hang out with Jesus, he will change your mind. And here's a really, really big secret that I can't get why the church just keeps letting this one go. And then we fight over it and then Christians sort of get it and they go, oh, I've got that. And it's almost like I've ticked that box. But here's the biggest secret in knowing the will of God, pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. People go, oh, well, I did that once and I don't know if I could do it. If you did it once, you can do it again. But I'm not sure if it was God. That's your mind. Get your mind out of the way. Because your mind will tell you that you can't. And you've got to get your mind submitted to God. You want to love God, you've got to love him with your mind. He didn't give you a mind so you could not use it. He gave you a mind so it would be surrendered to him and surrendered to his spirit and then it could, you could think his thoughts. So you need to change how you think by loving God with your mind. And you love him with your mind by reading the word and doing it and by praying in tongues. Praying in tongues will give you discernment. Praying in tongues will give you revelation. Praying in tongues will tell your mind to be quiet and submit to your Holy Spirit. It's powerful. And you know what? After two minutes of praying in tongues, when you first do it, you're going to feel silly and like it's pointless. But this is where you have to tell your mind to be quiet. Have you ever learned another language? You know, if I said to you, a guy, any, a hedonaki. 
Does that sound ridiculous to you? It is Greek. Do you know what it means? Do you know what this profound statement means? As far as I can understand, I probably said it wrong. So someone listening on the tape going, it doesn't say that. All right, whatever it is they call them nowadays. Recording. But it says something. It's close to, I am a turtle. (laughs) Didn't it sound profound though? (laughs) It sounded profound, didn't it? It's probably nothing like that, but that's what says something like that anyway. But when you say, when you speak a foreign language, it sounds strange. It sounds unfamiliar. And your mind goes, I can't cope with this because I can't understand. You need to tell your mind to submit to your spirit because what you would... See, our problem is that we try and be earthly beings. We try and do everything from down here. Whenever you're in a battle, you know how you win a battle? You get the high ground. You see two planes fighting, they will try and get higher than each other. Because when you're higher, you have the advantage. It gives you more maneuverability. You see them on the ground, they'll try and get the high ground. Because it gives you a better range. You can see what's going on. When you start to pray in the Spirit, don't sit down here and go, I'm praying in tongues. Engage your mind and go, I'm sitting above the earth, looking down. Whatever your problem is, picture yourself sitting on top of it, standing over it. And then when you pray in tongues, pray into the problem. Pray into the earth. And it will change how you see yourself. It will change how you see your situation. And it will help you as you pray in tongues. And you'll go more and more and more because there's power when you pray in tongues. And the devil's convinced us that it's this weak little thing because he gets into our mind. But we need to love God with our minds by occasionally shutting them off. And letting our spirit rise up. Because when you got the word and you got the spirit going together, there is power. Yeah? The last one is your strength. You have to actually do something. Your strength represents your ability, represents the things that you do. And, you know, there are some people who sit down and they read their Bible and they pray and then they get up and you would never know by their life. You would never know by the things they do that they're a Christian. They go into their workplace or their home or their school or wherever it is and people sort of look at them and go, oh, yeah. And then one day it comes out that they go to, you go to church and they go, Really? I would never have thought that about you. And I don't know, do we feel good because we were able to hide it really well? Or is that the biggest insult you could have? You see, you should have so much God shining through you that people just look at you and go, what happened? I want what you've got. You need to have that time with God and then get up and walk what God has for you to do. 
and step into your purpose. That when you go to work, you work like you're working for God. And that can be hard to do. You know, I've worked in places where I didn't like the people I was working with. I didn't like the organisation I was working for. And it's really hard in that situation to give your best and to work like you're working for God. But you have to make a choice that I am going to do my best here because I'm not working for this company. I'm not working for this person. I'm doing this for God. I'm here. This is my mission field. This is my plan and purpose at this time in God. And so I need to do this for him. So Paul says to work as if unto the Lord. Like you are serving him. You know, if God was your boss, how would you act? If Jesus was standing there, what would you do? That's how you worship God with all of your being. That you put him first in what you do and you seek to hang out with him and to be with him. And he is the priority in all you do. Not the added extra five minutes I threw that in. But I get up so I can be with God. I go to bed a bit earlier because I get to be with God before I go to sleep. I want to hang out with him in my lunch break. I want to be with him throughout the day. I want to be talking to him every moment. I want him in all of my life. It's a journey. That's your life purpose. That's what he's called you to do. But on top of that, there is a second command which is just as important. And I think we get the first one and we start on that journey and we ignore the second. But the second one is actually as important as the first. Because Jesus said something like, if you give someone a cup of water in my name, then you've done it unto me. But he said, if you don't, basically hell awaits. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? That what we do actually influences. Because you see, God says, by your fruit, you're known. And he says, if you bear fruit, he will prune you so you become more fruitful. But he says, if you don't bear fruit, he will cut you off and throw you into hell. In other words, what God is saying through, the, through his word is, I don't just want lip service. I don't want you just pretending. I don't want you looking like you're a Christian and going through the motions and then not actually doing what you're supposed to be doing. I want your whole being. I want your heart. Because when God has your heart, your, your serving and your giving and your loving will flow out automatically. You know, if I, if I take this jug and it has water in it, so what is, if we put water in there, what's going to come out when I pour it out? Are you sure? Why? There's always one. How's your faith? If I put water in, what's going to come out? Water. Why? Because I put water in. If I put oil in there, what's going to come out? Oil. If I put dirt in there, what's going to come out? You see, what you put in is what's going to come out. And if you are really putting God into your life, if you are really loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, if you are really making him the priority in your life, you're putting God in and what's going to come out? You're going to do God actions. 
But if you're not doing that, then you won't. And so if you're sitting there going, well, you know, I find it really hard to share my faith. I find it really hard to do these things. You know where the problem is? It's not the output, it's the input. If you're not putting it in, if you're, hey, I'm here on Sundays and the rest of the week, well, I might try and find my Bible. Maybe I'll talk with God and pray a bit. Maybe we'll have a couple of minutes somewhere. If he is not your priority, then he is not going, you're not putting him in, therefore you're going, the output's not going to be there. You know, I think it was interesting that with our young people, with their AOKs, and this is not a condemnation, it's an observation, that the night they get the least people arriving is when they do the AOKs. Our smallest youth nights were AOK nights. Why? Because if people aren't putting it in, that when it comes to putting out and stretching ourselves. You see, when God said, love your neighbor, Jesus gave an illustration. And let me put this into modern day terms, shall I? Let's say ISIS rocked up, you know, footy grand final on Thursday. Well, it wasn't a grand final, sorry. It was a dismal game, that's all it was. A dismal, pitiful event was what that was. <laughs> Hey, I do. But let's just say that ISIS rocked up on Thursday and set a bomb off in the stadium. And people you know were killed. And you happened to be in Subiaco at the time. And the bomb goes off and you rush over and, and you see friends, family dead in front of you. And next to them is one of the guys who set off the bomb and he's still alive. What do you do? You know what Jesus said to do? He said to bandage up their wounds. He said to take care of them, to take them to the hospital and pay their bill. It's just to make sure they were protected and looked after. That's what Jesus said to do. That's what the parable of the Good Samaritan is about. It's about a guy going to his mortal enemy who wished him dead and taking care of his wounds, taking him to the hospital to be healed and paying his bill in full. That's what the Good Samaritan parable is about. That's what Jesus is telling us to do when he says, love your neighbor. It's finding the person in your workplace that you don't like and probably nobody else does and saying, hey, would you like to have lunch with me? It's getting that annoying, grumpy neighbour who never has anything, he just complains the whole time and just dropping over a nice gift and saying hi. It's, it's taking that person that nobody likes, that you can't stand and showing the love of God to them in a practical way. It's getting that person who has a go at Christians and showing God's love to them. That's what it is to love your neighbor. It's not, he says, look, you know, when you do something nice for somebody who's nice to you, he says, actually, there's no reward. He says, when you invite somebody over for a meal who you know will invite you back, he says, you've got your reward. But he says, when you show love to somebody, who you know will not show it back. That's 
when you're loving your neighbour. And most of us go, I can't do that. You know, if I did that, they'd spit in my face. They'd say horrible things and, you know. Why? Because we don't have enough God in, so there's not enough God flowing out. But that essentially is Christianity. You see, we can step into heaven all we like, and we should be, but when we step into heaven, we're supposed to be stepping into heaven to engage with Jesus, to be one-on-one with him, and to govern over our city and over our nation, to govern over our workplaces, to intercede and to pray, to get God's perspective of our home, of our street, of our workplace, and what he wants to do. And then go and do it. That's loving God. That's loving our neighbours. But our problem is that we're too caught up in our own problems, our own issues, our wanting to sleep. I want to watch this TV program. I want to do that. I want to do this. Oh, it's too scary. Can I tell you right now, if you're going to be a Christian, it's going to have scary moments. You know what Jesus said? He said, you know what? They crucified me, what's making you think they're doing less to you? He says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and we think that's taking communion. No, no, communion is about taking on living Jesus' lifestyle. When we say, eat his flesh and drink his blood, what we're saying is, I take Jesus inside me. It's no longer me that lives, but Jesus living inside me. So what would Jesus do in this situation? We made that cute little bands that went around your wrist. What would Jesus do? Seriously, what would Jesus do if he was you? Would he be living the life that you're living? Oh, that hurts, doesn't it? Would Jesus be living the life that you're living if you were Jesus? Well, guess what? You are. Because you're dead and he's alive in you. So what's more priority? What's important to him? Because whatever is important to him should be important to us. It's gone quiet. Are we good? Are we okay? Still love me? If you don't love me, you have to do nice things for me. (laughs) I'm dead anyway. It doesn't matter. I'll just transfigure out of here. Excuse me. Well, I pass through the crowd. <laughs> you pick up the stones, I'm walking through the wall. <laughs> Are we okay? I want us to really get this, when we're talking about engaging heaven, to actually get serious about it. If you really want to step into what God is doing and where he's going, it's a different path to before, and you have to really go, you know what? I'm putting my whole self into this. Because you can't be half Jesus. Hmm? We're peculiar anyway. But you can't be half Jesus. He, he is an all of He says, if you're going to be half me, I'm going to spit you out. We need to have all of him. You don't like lukewarm. It's like that coffee. You don't like lukewarm. It's disgusting. It's nice coffee or it's a hot coffee. Are we Okay. Let's engage Jesus and he'll take you into the heavenlies and everything else will flow. 
It's got to start with that I'm stepping into him and then doing what he says. And that's really important. If you're going, God's not speaking to me, what was the last thing he told you to do? And have you done it? If you haven't done it, he ain't going to give you any more instructions. You've got to go back to what he's told you to do. And that's horrible because I'm sitting here this morning and he's going, you've got to do this and this. And I don't want to do this and that. But you know what? It's the willing and the obedient who eat the best of the land. And I was complaining this morning there was nothing good to eat in the house. But God showed me that I, I made this, I'm not just being obedient. I've got to be willing as well. And it takes you a second to get willing. It's a choice. I choose to be willing. Okay, I'm doing this. So now there's going to be good stuff in my house. What? No. <laughs> anyway, are we good? Shall we pray? All right. Close your eyes. I want to encourage you to make a choice to go back to the last thing God told you to do and make a decision to do it and not just do it reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. It's not just giving of your money, it's giving of yourself. So go back and go, you know what, God? I didn't do that and I'm sorry. So make that choice to, I am now going to have you first. I choose to spend every day with you. I choose to start my day with you. I choose to end my day with you. And I choose to do whatever you've told me to do. And I'm going to do it willingly. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. I'm doing it willingly because I want to eat the good in my hand. I want the good stuff in my house. I want to eat of Jesus. Lord, we just give ourselves to you. We thank you that you are a good God, that Lord... You loved us first, and you keep loving us, and you keep loving us, and you never stop loving us, no matter how much we mess up, and we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh. We choose to walk with you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.